Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, where we bring you the sound of drums every recording. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And we're a couple of guys who like Doctor Who, uh, also journalists who have written about Doctor Who, uh, watchers of Doctor Who. I think we've consumed Doctor Who, probably, uh, from something from the cookbook, I'm guessing. Yes, uh, uh, fish fingers and custard. There you go. Um, Always yeah, a favorite. And, and we are on a quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. Uh, oh, right. The That's the key Doctor thing Who. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> the whole well, point of this it's, podcast. It's, it's easy to forget today because we have heard the sound of drums in in the big news that dropped like an evil master plot this it morning. Was, it was massive, and it got us to accelerate our recording schedule. So we're recording this a full day before we were supposed to because we were just so damn excited about what we heard. And Chris, do you want to do the honors? What, what is the big news that just dropped, in case anyone the, is wondering? The big news, in case you've been on Mars for the last year is that, uh, or the last day, I guess, uh, is that RTD, Russell T. Davies is back. He is coming back to be the new showrunner after Chris Chibnall. I, I still dun, can't dun, even dun, believe... Dun. <laughs> I can't even believe that I'm saying it. I mean, this just doesn't happen. In yeah. Doctor Who, we've never had a returning showrunner, uh, yeah. which I'm sure was a big part of the appeal for him. He gets to be the first. And true, it's sort true. of... It's kind of reignited um, the the love for Doctor Who and a lot of the fandom because you know Chibnall Chibnall's stories were were divisive. Uh, I think it's fair to say that um, mm-hmm. a lot of people felt that they they didn't work. That Jodie Whittaker was not best served by his his version of storytelling. Um, but RTD, like everyone loves RTD now. Um, oh yeah, you know he he was he was controversial himself, lest we forget in his tenure. But. We, we, I kind of but do not forget, so much now. But, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> now he's like, sort I, of the genius, you know. When 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 I, when I first heard it, and it was thanks to you texting me, <laughs> uh, and I saw I actually saw the preview in the text, and mm. I was just kind of flabbergasted. I think I went quickly from what to like, oh come on, this must be a joke, to <laughs> oh it's not. Oh wow, I'm actually really happy. Like I, you know, yes. and that was probably like within five seconds, all of those, all of those emotions. And I was just like, uh, I liked where it was like, I just ended like, oh, my, my instinct is that like, yeah, I, I love those stories. I loved his era. Uh, he did obviously a lot to turn Doctor Who into this sort of nerdy, very, very nerdy, very kind of niche cult TV thing that only a few people knew about in North America anyway. Mm. to to something that's gone mainstream. I mean, it just never would have happened without him. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the way he approached the show and the stories and the people he cast and, you know, what say what you will about any individual story or, or certain choices he made. Like, there's no question, like, the reason Doctor Who is a global phenomenon today is almost solely because of Russell T. Davies. Absolutely. I mean, he he updated the show. He found the right format for the 21st century. Uh, he made it a much more diverse and representative thing. Um, he His tenure gave us some truly memorable characters uh, from Captain Jack on down. Um, his his version of the of the doctor was new and and interesting and fascinating he just injected so much lifeblood into the show and um 
and then and then he he went uh, because he it didn't was, overstay it was, his welcome. You yes. know what I mean? Like he left and he he did four seasons and some specials and that was it. And that was good. And I was like, oh, it's too bad. But, you know, we like Moffat. And, Mo- you know, I mean, going into Moffat's era, we knew we liked the stories Moffat did. I should be more accurate. Mm-hmm. And then we, when we got the Moffat era, uh, you know, we can talk about that when, when Moffat comes back. But I mean, like, it was. It was <laughs> back to the sentient. That was a whole different thing. But I guess with Davies now, so he's back. Like, I, I, I want to read whatever interview he's going to give because. Um, mm. Like, how do you top yourself? Like, you know, aren't you setting yourself up a little bit for failure in a sense, given everything I just said, right? Everything you everything you just said. Like, he, he did so much, accomplished show, so much with this show. He obviously loves it. And I understand the, the impulse to come back. But, like, he's got a wow. Like, he's kind of, like, got a lot to live up to, uh, even by his own standard. And it's a much different canvas he has well, to, to play with now. So maybe, maybe that sort of unlocks the key to it, its appeal to him. Two things. First of all, now I'm regretting that my first response to the news was not to go, what? 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 (laughs) Repeatedly, um, which would have been entirely appropriate. Um, But secondly, I wonder if uh, what he can do is to come in and we may be getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves with, you know, the next season. We don't know how the story is going to go down, if there's going to be any reference to the timeless child um, Mm. story that was that dropped like a bomb at the end of last season. But if if anyone can incorporate that more more clearly into who canon, and tell us just what the hell is going on with the history of the Doctor now, it's it's RTD. I think that he would he would have the trust and goodwill of all of fandom to take this massive bombshell of a new you know storyline that expands the Doctor's history massively, and just make it make a little more sense. You know, mm, just totally. just kind of. You know, we whatever, however he wants to adapt it. I think we we trust him to do it. Yeah, I feel like the BBC, like if you look at it from RTD's perspective, I can sort of see the appeal of like not not just addressing that specifically, but like um, like doing do, like having a different canvas, a broader canvas, even because mm. one, we've we've now had you know the first female Doctor. There's been a lot about. You know, like the, the basically where there's a lot more to play with in terms of the doctor he picks, which is another thing that mm. we'll we'll talk about yeah. at some point. But I mean, um, like I think he sees it like there's there's like okay, I could do something with this. Now, this is the thing. Like I think from the BBC's perspective, I think you're kind of dead on in that they kind of they would never say this publicly, but there's some damage control to do. You mm. know, and so they like one is sort of cleaning that up, but I hope like it doesn't feel that way. Like I hope the way RTD approaches it won't be like, Oh, I've just got to like scrub this and start again. And, Mm. you know, just figures out how to sort of weave that into his vision of the show. Uh, I think he will. What I would not want to happen. And I guess the analogy that has just popped into my head in in most recent uh, uh, pop culture and franchises is when they brought back uh, JJ Abrams to do the last Mm of the, the, the latest Star, Star Wars trilogy, which yeah. I, the less said about that, the better, but it was, it did also seem like an exercise in damage control. And then right. he ended up invalidating yeah, a lot it, of it. The, like, it was a, like, like a bit of a cleanup or a perceived cleanup of what happened in The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of people, like kind of didn't really need cleaning up, right? Like what, uh, better choices might've yeah. been to like go with it, but do it your way, which I kind of hope is RTD's intention. 
Yeah, I think he's he's going to be much more in the the British tradition of improv, much more in the mm. yes and tradition, which is exactly. the, the big the big sin of the Rise of Skywalker was that it was not yes and it was it was too much there was too much of a feel of oh we you know we've given in to the the fandom menace as they called themselves the uh, <laughs> the anti Last Jedi people who didn't like the idea that that Ray was nobody. Um, you know, and this was sort of the, the ethical conundrum at the heart of Star Wars, and J.J. Abrams just sort of capitulated to a tiny minority of fanboys. And uh, I, I was there at the premiere of The Rise of Skywalker, and I can tell you a lot of people who worked for Lucasfilm were just spitting mad at, at what he had done by making Rey a, uh, a Palpatine. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's not what we want wow. here. We don't want... Sounds yeah. like you got some stories, dude. <laughs> when's, when's your next book coming out? Oh, someday, someday I'll be able to tell all those stories uh, once once the heat has died down. You heard um, it here first, folks, on Colton Open. <laughs> when that book comes out, you're going to like reference this and I don't know. We'll have you on the show, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I can't wait to come back on the show and talk all about Star Wars and its relationship to Doctor Who. Um, yeah, so, so, so uh, RTD, like we know... His, we were just talking about this on the on the last episode, right? The uh, the fact that RTD and Moffat could form the ultimate quiz team in, in terms oh, yeah. of class, classic Doctor Who trivia, like they're such nerds. And we were talking about the fact that you know they made Captain Jack a a fifty first century time agent uh, to possibly reference uh, the talon, talons of Wen Chiang. Right. It's kind of like don't. I mean, it's, they obviously felt free to write whatever they wanted, mm. in ter- but they were also like when there was opportunity to, you know, go and, and link things and mm. do it in such a way. I liked is they they were obviously super fans, but also did it in, in subtle enough ways that you know it depended upon the fandom sort of coming halfway and sort of doing yeah. their own headcanon, which uh, I think they had a good appreciation for too, even though that was a fairly new ish idea at the time with franchises and super fans, but. Um, and I think yeah. I think what we can what we can definitely say, you know, so much is up in the air at this stage, including the identity of the next Doctor. But what we can definitely say is that RTD will produce scripts that move fast, uh, just like Moffat's did. But they, they will they will move fast while staying in fewer locations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean by you know, that? Well, you know, he, he's his his scripts always had an energy to them. But unlike Moffat, who sort of would bounce around from planet to planet, location to location, tossing out ideas, 19 to the dozen, you know, Davies would, would move fast, but in a in one or two locations, right? Mm-hmm. You, there was no m- moment where you felt in his scripts, oh, this could be a whole season, which is was and will be always my biggest complaint about Moffat's stories, is that right. he, he tossed out ideas so fast that you're just like, wait, no, no, that was a good, that thing that just whooshed past my ear, that could have been an entire uh, story. In in Classic Who, it would have been. Like, you know, the, one of the examples I always think is the beginning of A Good Man Goes to War, where, like, the entire the Cyberman ship blows up, right? You know? Oh, and yeah. And we, we, get, we get the entire war compressed into a five-minute pre-credits sequence, you know? Um, it, very, very mofty stuff, just, just blasting through and, and kind of wasting opportunities. Um, yeah, I feel like with Davies, what, he's he's yeah. going to like what the way that I'm mostly looking forward to is I think similar to what you said, like this this return to the this storytelling where story matters. Yes. <laughs> now, like even Chibnall, like I think Moffat and Chibnall share this in different ways, but they're kind mm. of they they tend to target emotional beats 
and getting to a certain place. And they really don't care how they get there. Whereas Davies mm. always cared how he got there. Like, it was yeah. Like, and he's, you got yeah. the sense that he was always imagining the classic British family sitting around the TV screen totally. and making a show accessible to all of them. Mm. Um, and I just think of the fact that, you know, we, 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 um, you know, we do the sound of drums. I think at this, this at the start of every episode. I think it was the sound of drums was the episode, or maybe it was last the Time Lords that screened on like giant screens in uh, Trafalgar Square uh, during uh, Gay Pride in whatever year that was, like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Like it was, it, it had become that much of a national pastime because of his tenure that you know the, the entire pride march just stopped to watch doctor who and it, i just i love that idea <laughs> i love that idea uh, that's amazing you know and yeah. I, I just he, he, well, he it's big screen tv is what he writes and he's so yeah. good at everything he does all of the other shows i don't know if you've seen years and years on hbo no i haven't i've been needing to because i you know i've seen obviously his mm-hmm. his press around he shares a bit on instagram all the time yeah but i assume it's been well received Yes, and it was a, it was extremely well received in a very RTD way. You know, uh, it takes us through the whole of the 2020s and into the 2030s um, through the uh, the lens of one family. Very, very nice. compelling. Well, Lots of great cliffhangers. He really gets family. And this is the thing. I, honestly, this is the thing my wife would say when we would watch Doctor Who together and she would kind of drop off a bit in terms of her attention when we got to Moffat and, and later Chibnall. Like, she talks about, like, she would reminisce about Rose and Martha and like, you know, they, they felt real and they had real families and mothers and even Donna's family. Like, like he, mm. he could write for that type of family relationship and have it come across as, as sort of unique to those characters and believable and very relatable. Whereas, you know, it seemed mm. like Moffat and later, you know, later Chibnall were doing these sort of bending over backwards to sort of have drama or just sort of interest, like, you know, a lot of good, character stuff but there's something about the companions of those eras that don't quite you know ring as true as the you know yeah. rose and her mother and martha and, and, and everyone in in those first four seasons um yeah they felt like real that families might be a big reason why why um ratings have have slowly declined over the years he is so good at writing real families and uh at uh you know, uh, real, real people and, and real situations. And the, the most recent thing that he's done, which I haven't seen yet was uh, he did a project called it's a sin, uh, which should have clued us into the fact that he was missing Dr. Who, because even though it's, it's a sin, it's about uh, HIV AIDS uh, crisis hitting the gay community in the, in the eighties in London. And um, uh, there is a point at which one, one of the men in the show uh, works for Dr. Who. Like he's he's actually on the set, and uh, they so they reconstruct a a kind of a fake eighties Doctor Who Dalek episode. Oh, that's so funny! Uh, which I think is based a little bit on uh, was it Resurrection of the Daleks, like the Peter Davison? Yeah, that's um, they, sh- they did a yeah. lot of location shooting in London. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so they basically do a version of that, except they name it something else. Uh, but he manages to get '80s Doctor Who in his own show. Like that's how much of a nerd he is when it's something completely disconnected. So he clearly yeah. still loved the show. Like there were huge, huge features about everything that they'd done to make this one scene, you know, uh, screen accurate and representative of '80s Doctor Who. Um, 
and, yeah, figure and he's making a, Doctor Who anyway. You might as well yeah. make the actual show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, well, I guess this is just going to haunt my dreams anyway. So, um, yeah, so he will be back for season 14 um, in, and he will be back for the 60th anniversary. I'm sure that, <clears throat> and I hope that uh, he feels some sense of competition with what Moffat did for the 50th. You know, Day of the Doctor mm-hmm. is still my favorite Doctor Who story of all time. Yeah, uh, with, no, with it's, no it's competition. Yeah, um, it made me forgive a lot so, of <laughs> a lot of other Moffat's issues but for a while, anyway. Right, um, right. Yeah, we'll he see. Absolutely 16. nailed it. Yeah, yeah. And and so I hope that Davies feels like you know this is going to be my my tombstone. This is going to be my my capper to my time on Doctor Who. Is I'm going to do something even better than Day of the Doctor. Uh, and if he yeah, does, well, we, gotta, we all win. He kind of almost needs to kick off with that, right? Mm. Like that's going to be funny because it's like he's going to start with the his anniversary special, really, and then get mm. it. I don't know, like give seasons as they are. Last thing I want to just sort of mention about him when he was showrunner, Doctor Who, and then you know partly maybe it was the era, maybe it was him, maybe it was the BBC. I'm not sure, but Doctor Who definitely was and felt more like a franchise because mm. they had spinoffs. There was, I felt like there was sort of more excitement and more even merchandising. You had the voice changing helmets and stuff like that. And I just feel like that sort of broad industry enthusiasm for the show through no individual's fault has sort of waned. And Mm. in the world where, you know, you have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have, you know, DC's trying to do the same thing. Everyone's trying to do these mega franchises. Um you know, I feel like like it, it's overdue. Doctor Who gets like uh, a reboot on that set score as well, and maybe you know by twenty twenty five, we we sort of start seeing more uh, more more spinoffs, more more things they're doing, more maybe online components. I don't know, but um, yeah, you know, I kind of hope he certainly, to return to that. He certainly was was with without any near competitor the most populist uh, Doctor Who show. Right. And good, it's, good it's nice to be able to use populist in a popular, in a, in a good sense yeah. rather than populist politician. But he definitely had an idea to the, ma- uh, an eye to the mass audience at all time, an eye to expanding the franchise, uh, and an energy, uh, about him that, that really dovetailed with, with all of the marketing the BBC was trying to do and, and, the, and the new, uh, you know, the, the new generation of consumer products and all, all of this. Yeah. Um, so great yeah, sense he's, of audience. he's the man. Great sense of audience because he knew mm-hmm. the audience of the main show. And when he did Sarah Jane Adventures, that was, you know, similar but different. Obviously skewed younger. Torchwood skewed older. Um, you know, he kind of knew like, okay, you can't just do the same show for the same people. You mm-hmm. kind of need to make it different enough and interesting enough to capture new viewers while at the same time being true to the source material. It's a difficult needle to thread, but I, I actually think he did it well with both mm-hmm. uh and it took torchwood a while to get to its you know like oh this is it like i honestly think children of earth was like the thing that's like okay mm. like that is that's torchwood like anyone want yeah. pointing to like why that was epic that's that season uh sure. sarah jane adventures was you know just had a lot going for it i mean and, uh it, i thought you know my son used to watch it before he was into doctor who and i, I think that's you know as, as a gateway for kids it just you know it did the job so yeah, smart. I'll, I'll say uh, I'll say one more thing about RTD, uh, which is that everyone should go read the writer's tale if you mm, haven't already. Uh, uh, which is a series of emails that he wrote back and forth with uh, Benjamin Cook of, of Doctor Who magazine um, while he was writing much of his last season of the show and the last specials, 
And it, it's so compelling as an insight, not just into him, but in the, the way that writers work, uh, the way that he wrote most of his stuff off the cuff at the last minute with an eye to uh, what, what he, like he'd introduced terms like repeatability. Like that's how I feel like I've, I've talked about this on the show before, you know, that's how he came up with the, um, the fact that those uh, guardian angel robots on Voyage of the Damned would say information before everything they said. He was like, Oh, that's right. good. I can imagine every kid on the playground saying that, you know, information you are about to die. Uh, so he, he, you know, it, 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 it really exposed, and I hope they do this again. I hope they continue their email exchange and we get yet another book of the writer's tale. Uh, but it really exposed so much about the writing process and how much it hurt him, like and how much he was staying up late at night and, yeah. and uh, smoking endless cigarettes and, you know how how painful it could be sometimes. And the cigarettes, oh my! Oh uh, yeah, such a bad example. I'm just glad he's never <laughs> uh, never put that in the show. Yes, well, do not do as he does. Information. This is a podcast about <laughs> Doctor Who episodes, and we we probably should at some point get to our episode of the week. Um, even though yes. I'm a little bit dreading our regular feature, which we're about to do. But believe it or not, we are here to talk about something other than Russell T. Davies returning to Doctor Who. Yes. We're here to talk about where the randomizer has taken us. Where did that take us, Chris? So previously on Pull to Open, we were at the Talons of Wen Chiang. And uh, what the randomizer decided to do was to take us to uh, back to a Capaldi episode, because the randomizer loves Capaldi. And So uh, So many heart emojis. How many Capaldi episodes have we had on on Pull to Open so far? It's 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 four, five, five four, technically five. if you yeah. count. Uh, well, actually six technically because we did Dark Water and Death in Heaven as a package. Yep. We did Sleep yep. No More. Uh, we did the Pyramid at the End of the World and the Lie of the Land, and we did Oxygen. Yeah. So that's we've Crazy. already done six. <laughs> Crazy. In four, in four uh, installments. So this will be our fifth installment and our seventh Capaldi. And uh, yeah, now we've come back to the episode after Sleep No More, which is Face the Raven. Face the Raven. And, and it's interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, having just watched The Talons of Wen Chang, like here, here is another very London-based episode. Um, right. You know, the, the Doctor, instead of just wandering around saying... The, this tribe, the tribe that lives here is called Cockneys. He's actually interacting with the Cockneys on a much more, a much deeper level. Um, and uh, yeah, it kind of felt like it's not an RTD episode, but it kind of felt like an RTD episode in some ways in the fact that it's not, it hasn't got that moffatiness of, of jumping around. It's very much just in one location. Right. Right. Yes. And you've got, You've got a few RTD monsters appearing. There's a Jadoon briefly. There's an Ood. Uh, so I kind of got that vibe a yeah. little bit. But before we get into it, we do a feature every week called TLDW. We do indeed. Too well, long, Doctor. We do together <laughs> as an enterprise, but one of us yes. does it each week and we alternate. And today, mm-hmm. this is the week I do it, I believe. And that I'm going right. for it now, Chris. I just want to go in and do this, kind of get it over with, <laughs> and hopefully not <laughs> so embarrass we, myself like I did with uh, Oxygen. So 
Let's see if I can I can do that. But well, well, I, I say every week that that it should be easy every time we do a, a classic, uh, a non-classic one, because it's it's super hard with the classic episode. Basically, with the classic episodes, we give ourselves uh, thirty seconds per episode. With, right. with the new show, it's a minute per episode. So obviously, you'll have one minute. Um, but I sort of feel like less is going on here than with Talons. Like, I hope know, so. Some, <laughs> God, summarizing Talons in three minutes. <laughs> but what we've learned is don't do the cold open. Okay, I won't. I'll try not to anyway. Or, I actually <laughs> barely remember what was in the cold open. I just sort of remember it's all jumbled together in my head. So, Yes. All right. All right. Well, I've got my timer. And Pete Bushal, you have one minute to summarize Face the Raisin. Are, are you ready? I'm up for it. Are you facing, facing Face the Raven? <laughs> facing, summarizing, facing the Raven. <laughs> oh, wait. Face the Raven. I already got screwed up the title. This is already going super well. It's all right. It's all right. You got this. You got this. All right. All right. Your time starts now. Okay, so the Doctor and Claire are adventuring when he gets a call in the TARDIS. It's Riggsy, Claire's friend, who has a weird tattoo on the back of his head that's actually a countdown. What? They go and see what's going on. It's a big mystery. The Doctor concludes he's going to die, uh, but they're going to help him anyway because uh, it's counting down to something going to kill him. So they figure out that he's actually uh, we've got this. His, he has memory wiped, but they uh, figure out he would, there was this hidden part of London uh, it's like a street. It's kind of like Diagon Alley. It's like, but it's hidden from view. And there's like aliens there, but they look like humans. But they, they sort of track down what uh, actually happened to him. And it turns out Ashilda or me has actually plotted this thing uh, where he's going to die. Uh, but it was really a plot to lure the doctor there. And so they find the person that the guy supposedly murdered, which is why he was sentenced to death. But they're alive. So the doctor lets them out by using the TARDIS key which traps him. But unfortunately, even though this was all a plot and, and Ashilda was going to free the guy from his tattoo, she can't do it because Clara moved it over. And then Clara is the one who actually ends up getting killed because it revokes the whole <laughs> de- deal. And so Clara dies and the doctor gets <laughs> transported somewhere and we don't know who did it. And that's yes. pretty close to a minute. That's one minute, 16. You managed. Yeah. All uh, right. It's pretty what, good. I, what, it's pretty what good. was extraneous there? Well, I guess there was probably some I, of the I London think, stuff. Uh, yeah, the, the the start. It was just we we need to get to the trap street, right? Uh, more quickly. It's yeah. They they do have all the stuff. Like the doctor goes to the British Library. They pull out old maps. Oh, I could have uh, gone they, on and on. <laughs> yeah, they have Clara hanging out of the TARDIS. Um, you know, with the yeah. sonic sunglasses, trying to identify what streets are hiding themselves. Um, and, yeah, there was uh, a lot of back and forth, some misleads. The doctor was like, go get all this stuff from the TARDIS so we can find yes. it. And she goes and she just, oh, she, she realizes Riggsy's phone is, mm-hmm. is actually, it's got, they got the data. So someone called him. So there's this whole thing, but I skipped all that. I guess I'm, I don't know. The trap street, there's aliens well, there. I guess it didn't matter. And, and the underlying mood of the episode, uh, is it's, it's hard to insert in the summary, but the underlying mood is definitely is the hubris of Clara Oswald. Yes. Who, which, yeah, which has sort of been building for the whole season. Right. Yep. I gotta say it's to my mind. Um, I wouldn't say it's weak. I mean, as a story choice, it's okay. I just felt mm-hmm. like I never quite bought it fully in, you know, you kind of knew they were, it just felt like they, she was acting this way and doing it because they had to, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, 
I don't know. I, 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 there was never quite the level of authenticity that this recklessness that she's approaching it from that I never got. I, it's, it's, it was an interesting experiment because it's almost like they're how a companion starts to emulate and then sort of almost become the doctor, right? Mm, In the same yeah, attitude. I like that aspect. And once that happens, you the the like the actual physical difference between them comes front and center because she isn't immortal. She can't regenerate. She doesn't have a bypass respiratory system and all these things that are like diasex machinas mm. in various episodes. And uh, I feel like that's, that's sort of, if that's the lesson here or, um, but like, like I say, like it, it works as a story thing. And I, I really don't mean this to be a slam on Jenna Coleman, who I thought was actually freaking fantastic in this episode like honestly like yeah. it's her best performance and it's unbelievably good but it is like yeah. something something to do with that writing seemed a little too contrived i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah i i, I kind of bought it so i have to say this is, this is the second time that i've seen it and uh the first time uh i reviewed it for mashable gave gave it an a uh which is my first a of this particular season uh, so I'd sort of been, you know, kind of disappointed in a lot of the stuff they they did up until uh, this point. It did, didn't seem up to snuff, but this was, to my mind then, and increasingly now, a near perfect episode of Doctor Who, a near perfect story, near and all perfect. the more amazing, near perfect. I, I think well, when you that, say that, Chris, you know, I, that, I have to probe you. <laughs> why did you? Why the qualification? Why is it only near? I think the qualification is the fact that Riggsy doesn't have enough agency in this. Like you bring Riggsy back, but he's almost sort of a background character. And we almost spend more time with his baby uh, than, than we do with him. Although that that's a wonderful, there's, there's a wonderful callback to that, right? When we, we, we see Riggsy's baby at the start, you know, kind of emphasizing to the doctor, that this is a human being who made another small human being. And the doctor's, so into babies that he's almost like, oh, bring bring the small human along. Oh, no, wait, don't. I'll get distracted. Um, and then there's kind yeah. of just a a heartfelt callback to that later on where, like, easily the most affecting scene of Face the Raven is at the end where the Doctor and Clara know that, that she's going to die and there's nothing me can do. The tattoo is counting down on the back of her neck and it can't be moved again. Right, it's been moved right. once, and that's sort of the, the the dark secret of the episode. You know, Clara thinks, "Oh, well, you know, problem. We just move it. Like this is a doctorish thing to do. Move it onto me, and then you take it off me." No, you can't. Uh, so the doctor, you know, does that very doctorish thing of, or the very new who doctorish thing of of threatening revenge, threatening to kind oh, yeah. of become the war doctor again, right? And it's just a lovely, yeah. lovely yeah. scene. And then Clara says. Uh, you know, this thing that stops him in his tracks, which is, and I have the script here, I quoted exactly, your reign of terror will end at the sight of the first crying child, and you know it. Yeah. Yeah, it really hits part, you. Oh, Such a great I line. Got, I yeah. got, I mean, I, I teared up when watching that, and I got goosebumps again just reading it, because that is so... So the doctor, and we know from the day of the doctor, right? That he, he spent all those years, he spent all those years counting how many children there were on Gallifrey the day that he thought he destroyed it. 
Yeah, it's, so it's, 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 it's really like the perfect line of the the most perfect line of the whole mm. thing. Um, but it, yeah, it's just unfortunate that all of this great stuff gives gives Rigsy very little to do. Yeah, I, I, I have to confess, I, I forgot who Rigsy was. You know, I actually had to look it up. Like mm. he's he's, he's uh, you know again nothing against the actor, he's fine. Um, I think he's not given a lot to do. He wasn't really given a lot to do in his debut, which I guess was Flatline. Uh, yes. which is another episode I really like, but yeah. uh, not for this we, guy <laughs> I mean, who's kind of just there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, all this stuff. At he the end, is, you know, his role yeah. is to play the, his, his role is to play the innocent, right? Uh, you know, the doctor always saves the innocence and, and me knows that. So she's, she's trapped him in this scheme. She's made him seem like a murderer. Um, the, the fact that Briggsy is black is, is definitely played upon because he, he almost sort of internalizes the, uh, the way that the street treats him. Everyone sort of whispers that he's a murderer and he's forgotten the last 24 hours. So like here he is accused, unjustly accused of this thing. And he almost internalizes it, which, you know, uh, speaks to a lot of the issues around uh, policing and, and uh, black people. And we have two police in this episode who turn out to be Jadoon, Right, so it's sort of it's very relevant, um, and yeah, then he, he has, but yeah, he just it's unfortunate given that relevance that he doesn't have enough agency. But yet at the end, you know, in, in a, a very rare Doctor Who post credit sequence, he is seen uh, uh, graffiti painting the TARDIS with flowers and a picture of Clara, which is just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And actually, since I have the script here, I can tell you that it was uh there was supposed to be some dialogue with that that we oh, were supposed to see that his uh, his wife and and baby were supposed to be there as he's painting the tardis uh oh. and uh his wife jen says to the baby see that that's for your dad's friend she brought him home to us uh and then she says to rigsy he won't be mad that you painted his tardis and rigsy says i hope he is mad i hope he comes back and properly goes off at me but Riggsy frowns. Wow. He isn't holding his breath. I mean, how how great would have that been to to include? Wouldn't have given, necessarily given him more agency, but you know, a little bit more dialogue. You know, a little bit more. Um, definitely would speak more to the depth of his relationship with Clara and how what all yeah. this meant to him. But that would have been good. Do you know any idea why they didn't film it? I, I think they probably did film it, and it just sort of got got excluded, and they just decided to go with it with a silent. Um, could have uh, been just yeah, just post a timing yeah. issue. I, I thought maybe mm. they maybe the actress was unavailable, or just sometimes that happens. So yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's 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 really interesting. But yeah, like I mean, it's it's a really powerful episode, uh, and that scene would have just underscored it. I mean, all that stuff at the end, you're you're dead on. I mean, honestly, I feel like that line and uh, the way the doctor is and the, what the way Clara steers him back, it's not just earned through the episode or even the season. It's honestly like, like almost like the whole show is really well encapsulated in, in that scene in the dialogue hmm. and the relationship between the doctor and Clara. And, um, because she's the only one who's seen the war doctor, right? She's the only one who knows what he can become. And yeah. knows that even, even in his war doctor phase, he still cared about children. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I like where he's pulled back from the edge and he still has that extra shade towards the end. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like 
he's super forgiving still like and he's just like oh okay like he he's still very very cross with uh me mm-hmm. and lets mm-hmm. her know um which i thought was a good little sort of underscore like when he yeah. talks about like i was lost long ago and like i'm not doing this yeah she you know? she was saving you uh yeah. and then uh you know, he says, I'll, I'll do my best, meaning I, I t- I'll do my best to not take revenge on you. But I'd advise you very strongly to stay out of my way. You'll find it's a very small universe when I'm angry with you. Um, right. And it's actually a great moment for Maisie Williams. It's, it's a great moment for Capaldi and Williams. Uh, but but she, the look on her face when she realizes that he means it. Yeah. And uh, you do not want to cross the doctor. And she's sort of done it accidentally. That's just a wonderful moment for all her hubris earlier in yeah. the episode. So it's interesting. Like you, you think about this as a death of companion episode, which is an extremely mm. rare thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't quite get this, even though I'm like a classic series encyclopedia where <laughs> the doctor at some point, I, I caught this this time. I don't think I quite even caught it the first time where he, he's, he's searching for the, the street, the, the, the trap street. And there's a kid there. And for whatever reason, he says, remember 82. And it's never, I don't think it's quite clear in that moment. Yes. Yeah. And apparently this is a, a very oblique, very subtle reference to 1982 when Earthshock was broadcast. Yes. Which is really the, like, you know, there are other companions who quote unquote died, but it's like, as far as one who has died definitively on screen and it's like, hmm. like no going back from it. Like, I mean, was, was really Adric, right? Like, you know, yeah. sure. Yes. You could argue like there was always Katrina and serving them or whatever, but no one, no one's seen the Dalek master plan in 50 years. So like no one thinks right. of it. <laughs> um, you know, there's Amy and Rory, uh, but they were not really killed. So you, you know, you can't really, yeah, they still, that. they had a full life. They were happy. Yeah. So this is really like, and then even though like you kind of know, this isn't the end. You don't know if they're going to cheat it or whatever. Like, but you do kind of like it's Doctor Who. Then you know at this point there's two more episodes in the season. You, yeah. you kind of want to see how this turns out, and obviously it does turn out a bit differently. But they never really they don't reverse the death. Like she dies, and that's definitively right. done. They just kind of use sort of creative sci-fi ways to sort of stretch out that last second in future episodes. Yeah. They postpone um, it forever, which is sort of I guess you could say it's. Um, you know, foreshadowed by the fact that Rigsy is given retcon. The name of the drug is retcon. Uh, right, right. Which was also in Torchwood, I believe. Yeah, introduced in Torchwood. Uh, yeah. in, in episode one of Torchwood, it was kind of like this very, I'm mean, obviously a very knowing wink yeah. to, to a word <laughs> that I, I gotta, you know, the etymology of, of retcon, you gotta, it must have been invented sometime in the 90s, I guess, or something, you know, fairly recent word in the English language. But, Mm. Um, yeah, funnily enough, he's been retconned and, uh, I feel I like, think. yeah, the, the whole, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty epic scene, the death scene, right? Like, I mean, like it's, it's, you know, they stretch it out. And then when that Raven goes through her and then the, the black smoke just comes out of her, like, I mean, you're just like, wow. Mm. Like it's, you, like you were feeling it earlier with the dialogue, but now you're just like, whoa, they're like. They were kidding because you're kind of almost like, okay, are you gonna something gonna happen? Like, what's what's gonna like? Is she gonna get beamed out of there? Like, and right. you know, like even if you you think about earlier in the season, right, where they'd had the like, I think the witch is familiar, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the thing where it's like, you know, when you see someone disintegrated, we're never going to trust it again because even though, you know, we weren't quite trusted it before, they definitively gave the reason how you could like get out of a disintegration. It's like you just get beamed out and it's the same energy or whatever. It's like, okay, but that's not what happens, right? I, I think that's very much on purpose as a special effect. It's not like there's like the, the smoke, like, like they, this must have been focus group between Moffat mm. and the writer <laughs> and, and the, the set design, you know, all the people, the stunt choreographer are like, well, how do we make it that like she's dead? Like, like the, the, yeah. it has to be like definitive, but it can't be like graphic. Like, so yeah. like, what do we do? No blood. Yeah, and they, they it came out really, really well. I thought like that was that's a pretty epic death scene. Yeah, she collapses from multiple angles as as the black smoke leaks out of her. It's, it's extremely effective. Uh, just a quick uh, to go back to remember eighty two. The the numbers he said he they can't find the trap street because the trap street is sort of you know messing with their minds and making them distracted. So they are trying to count the number of steps uh, that they're they're walking, and that's why the doctor. Says oh, that's what it was. Okay, I thought um, it was just sort of random. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. They were. Yeah. yeah. But I love that it is a, a foreshadowing for for classic Who fans. Yes, remember remember that one thing that destroyed your childhood in 1982, when mm-hmm. when Adric died. Um, I certainly that was uh, super affecting for me. I, certainly I destroyed Matthew Waterhouse's childhood. But it's funny, like <laughs> oh, oh poor Matthew Waterhouse. They. Um... It's so funny that like he he like supposedly like I don't know how much this is an exaggeration, but they wrote him out of the show in that way because they found him really annoying because mm. he was like critical of the things they were doing wrong with the show. And like this is at least something he used to say on the convention circuit. Uh, but now it's funny because like he's like legendary, like whatever you think mm. of Adric, like Adric being the, the companion that died on the doctor's watch. Is like the thing that is referred to so much uh, ever since. Um, so he's he's kind of like, you know, it, it. They tried to get rid of him, and but now it's like he's they. It's it's like killing Obi Wan Kenobi, right? He's more powerful than you could ever imagine. You <laughs> can't do anything about it. Yep. Yeah, the, and the the only one to definitively die, you know, in in let's say the color TV era. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and to not be retconned in any way because Clara's death, yes, it does happen, but it is. I was so mad at Hellbent for it. You know, I mean, spoiler alert: the Doctor plucks her out of time, and mm-hmm. and basically she and me go off and having adventures in a in a TARDIS that looks like a an American diner, which just kind of you know, destroys the grief of this episode and, uh, and the next episode, the, the amazing, amazing, possibly one of the best ever episodes of Doctor Who heaven sent, mm-hmm. um, you know, and Hellbent kind of, kind of, you know, oh, it's just, I've, I've read about this time, but it was so moffity. And so, so kind of destroying the, the sense of true grief that we got for two episodes running. Um, so well, that that is a shame, but yeah, definitely Matthew not a near perfect. Still, one. the only companion. <laughs> definitely not near perfect. This this episode is near perfect. The following episode, Heaven Sent. I'm almost tempted to say we should have made it the same story, right? Because it is kind of a continuation. The Doctor processing <laughs> yeah. his grief. It's it's a For kind of a trilogy. This is that gets kicked mm. off here. Um, not as co- not as co- the Moffat ones are interesting because they're not as connected explicitly as the ones in mm. the Davies era. Even even like his first one with Pandora opens and the Big Bang, 
Mm. such radically different episodes, even though they are more connected. And I think we do have them as listed as the same story here. They're like, yeah, yeah, they continue, but they're really so in tone and theme and setting like so different. Like I think we made the right call in separating them. Um, But yeah, I I kind of feel like I don't, I think we could review that episode and and review it, but I, I will say that why this is also near perfect for me, probably not as near as you, <laughs> um, is because of some of that Moffity stuff where he, he, in subtle, sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes it's a little more subtle. And here it's a little more subtle where he, he goes to the place he wants to go without what sort of you, you would realistically happen. So you think about this, right? Like the, the Raven, um, this, uh, what do they call it? A quantum shade? Yes, the so, quantum shade. This quantum shade has this suit, like he defines, oh, you can't run from it. It's a power to go through all in time and space, which again is like, well, wait a minute. Like, what? Like, how many of these things are like, like, I mean, I, I Moffat well, likes we've never heard of them before. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've never heard of them before. We've, but Moffat does this. Like he introduces these cosmic beings that are ultra powerful, you know, at the drop of a hat. And, he, you know, it reminds me of uh, the pilot, right? And the, this, mm-hmm. that, that happened later in the next season, but. Like what? Like you, you go to the end of the universe and this thing is still chasing you? Um, again, like okay, I guess I'll believe that. But even if that's true, why not at least try? You know, like he knows she's going to die. He's got a couple of minutes. Why, <laughs> like again, like if I'm if I'm sticking this out as someone who knows Doctor Who, run to the TARDIS, go, mm. like go go as far as you possibly can and stretch that out as long as you can. Uh, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Uh, but he never does it. Well, again, seems... like, I, get, I, I get dramatically why they didn't. It's just like, mm. it would have been nice to like, at least address that. Maybe it would just didn't have time. I don't know. They, yeah. They, they should have written in a line and say that you, you, you'll never get out of this trap street in time. You know, uh, maybe it like takes, takes time to open up the trap street, something like that. Something that makes it clear. The door's that locked. Are... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he, he has also, he has also just used the TARDIS key, so that would have been an easy lift to just say, well, right. now you can't get back to the TARDIS because the key's gone. Um, so something like that. But I, I love, you know, one of the things that I think makes this perfect is you have the foreshadowing by the fact that a, another resident of the street is killed uh, yeah. by the quantum shade ahead of time. So we see, you know, this old man who is stealing medicine for his old wife and she begs him to put the tattoo on her. And he's like, no, you silly. I went through this for you. Uh, and then he runs and they always run. Nobody, nobody faces the Raven, even if they think they're being brave. Uh, so that, that sets it up. That sets up every aspect wonderfully, you know, Clara thinking it's easy to just take the tattoo. Um, you know, it's, and it sets up the fact that everyone runs. And so when she's brave at the end and faces her death, that has more resonance. So that's that's what makes it almost uh, perfect for me is is the, the fact that almost everything about the death is foreshadowed early and it is really neatly tied into the hubris that's that she's shown a number of times in this episode. Like it doesn't kind of come out of nowhere in the way that Adric's death does. Um, mm. You know, the, there's yeah. not a lot of foreshadowing in that. Uh, you know, well, it was which, a little bit, which, but we'll we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Watch the randomizer sending us to Earthshock next, uh, just right. to remind us exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, it's I I liked everything about that, and I love the I love the trap street conceit, which mm-hmm. 
by the way, the, the original title of this episode, when when Sarah Dollard wrote it, I can see in the script is Trap Street. Hmm. Um, I can see why they changed week. it. But yeah. <laughs> um, again, yeah, the Trap Street stuff I thought was really really nice. I mean, I definitely got like Harry Potter, Diagon Val- mm. uh, Alley vibes from it. Uh, so mm-hmm. Actually, I think I mentioned that in the TLW, but um, so it, it, you really get the sense of some world building here, right? Like, it's like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, it's just here and there's aliens, it's a refugee camp. All this stuff is really rich. Uh, I hope they do a little more with it at some point. Like, there's there's a bit where they're looking for the street and uh, Claire is leaning out of the TARDIS, which obviously establishes, like, her recklessness and, uh, or helps establish it's been brewing Mm -hmm. all season. But she also sees more than one place, that is like mm. weird and off, which I like that idea of like suggesting that there's a bunch of these things, not all the same, not affiliated, but like there's weird stuff in London around various corners that yes. is, you know, so <laughs> someone's got to deal with it and who you're going to call. Right. Like, I mean, yep. which is so it's so London. Um, yeah, I've, I've never actually lived in the capital, but obviously, you know, uh, as, as a British person, you, it's inevitable that you spend a lot of time in London in your life. And and it does feel like that. Like this, we, we all know about the knowledge. Um, by the way, Riggsy gets called local knowledge by the doctor, uh, which I think is a wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, that's pretty the, good. The knowledge with a capital K is what taxi drivers are supposed to attain, uh, which is the, the knowledge of this, this incredible sort of grid of, you know, it's not even a grid, right? The, the streets in London are all over the place. They they mm-hmm. follow the path of of cows in the in the eighth century, right? It's like uh, going to market, like it, weird, windy, wonderfully knotty stuff that uh, actually makes taxi drivers who, who acquire the knowledge um, very good at uh, quiz shows. There's a, there's a British TV show called Mastermind uh, that was. Uh, there's been at least one winner of that that was a, a taxi driver. And it's because your, your brain becomes so expanded taking in this vast and complex map of the city of London. They um, just end up being sponges for information. That's really yeah. That's almost like a Doctor Who episode in itself. You know, right? I would love, you, you could like have this uh, race of, of uh, maybe all time <laughs> London taxi drivers are this sort of weird memory <laughs> race or people yes. are using taxi drivers to, as a, as a network and, and yeah. like throughout sp- time and space over all over London. Oh man, I love this. Yeah. This is great. Legopolis, but make it Le- Legopolis, but make it London taxi drivers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's nice to see Dr. Who use London more because it, London is its birthplace, you know, uh, Totters lane may have almost been a trap street in itself. Uh, Right? Yeah, you know, totally. When you when you see the TARDIS materialize on that street, and it's kind of just mm-hmm. sort of a nondescript street, but it's like, oh yeah, like, is there a line even? Like he's like he's back in London, and but it just, I don't know, something just feels right about that. And then it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, they they fan out, they're looking for the thing, and you see these these really good sort of shots of them just sort of uh, wandering around London with these, you know, some kind of high stakes mystery at the, that they're dealing with. Um, you know, all very atmospheric, lots of good suspense building. Um, yeah, the structure of this episode is just really, really good. I mean, um, there's, there's only bits, um, like you say, that, that, that don't quite work are, are really, I, I feel like are these sort of moffety indulgences. And mm. 
you know, they're, and they're all pretty minor. I mean, I remember I kind of like, was it like, like, and then I think mostly fans like me balk at them a little bit. Like one of them was like seeing a Cyberman, honestly, because it's like, yes, like okay, all, like, all the, all the Trap Street residents have, uh, have holograms to make them look human. And we various points peek behind the holograms and we see an Ood repairing a Cyberman. Which makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like, I feel like Moffat secretly hated the Cybermen, right? Because he like, he would, he would have them do cameos and they would just be terrible. Like mm. they just would not be, um, treat them as, as fearsome, you know, tier one monsters. Like I'm thinking specifically uh, closing time, even where it's, yes. the Cybermen are not well served in that story. They're very run down and even their conversion but it's process a great- kind of sucks. It's a great story for the Cybermat. Uh, it is um, a great story for the Cybermat. But like, yeah, in this story, like there's there's these quibbles of, of things here and there. Um, but yeah, like generally like really comes together. Um, well, two I, of the I, things that it does that, that I've often talked about on, on the show, uh, which is uh, that Doctor Who was supposed to be educational. And this educated, this educated me about Trap Streets. I did not know that trap streets were a thing. So basically, as the doctor explains in the show, uh, you know, trap streets were a a way to stop map makers copying off other map makers. You know, in in the early days of maps right. of London, they would insert a fake street with the name of their child or whatever, and if that street then appeared on another map, you could tell that that someone had been copying off you know their friend's paper for the test. Right, um, mm. and it was just kind of an obvious. It's like the uh, the doctor has the, uh, but then the doc, you know, of course, it's Doctor Who, so they take this mundane historical fact and turn it into something real and sinister. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that that will ha- that does the other thing that I think that Doctor Who is so good at doing. You know, taking taking the mundane in every way and making it scary for children. So you can imagine children walking through London. You know, after seeing this episode and looking down a blind alley, or you know, looking down one of these these tiny streets that you get off the main roads everywhere, and thinking, right. "Is that is that it? Is that a trap street? It's does does that bit. trap street connect to Diagon Alley somehow? Like, yeah. you know, connects a little to bit of bad lighting, and, and you can't, and suddenly, oh, mm-hmm. there could be a whole mm-hmm. world in there of aliens that just want to. Well, they don't want to kidnap you in this case. They were. Actually, there yeah. was, apparently, there hadn't been an act of violence there for a hundred years, according to Dee. Uh, yeah, I'm like uh, okay, I guess. Really? Yeah, I mean, everyone like still seems system. still seems like a powder keg, and you've still got uh, unjust executions of people who steal medicine. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Really? So I don't know if that's yeah. You really kind of wonder like what, what becomes of this, or that. Uh, so there's there's some questions that need to be uh, need to be uh, answered. <laughs> Uh, and, and figuring this out, but yeah, the the whole thing, yeah. I mean, um, kind of works. I mean, there there was a little bit of like when they're unraveling the mystery, and they're the sort of two faced people. Like, there's the one they have the face in the back, and the, the one's looking forward, and yes. one's looking back. Um, which I people. didn't quite like. I felt like that was a little bit extraneous. I mean, I, mean, I, I felt like the, the character is a little unmemorable. The one, the, the one that was supposedly the victim, and also the one that that led to it. Um, and it was a, I never quite got like the A to B connection. Um, mm. But I don't know. How did you feel about that? I, I liked it. That was sort of the most Moffaty aspect of the episode in that, that we, we should really have learned more about the Janusians, uh, 
the, the Janus people. I forget exactly. Like we don't get to see them long enough to know that they are, you know, exactly how you, their names are pronounced. Right. That kind of mm-hmm. one of the issues. Um, I, it landed for me because I've always been fascinated by the Roman god Janus, who could look forward and back at the same time, you know, uh, inspiration for the, the, the month of January, which is an appropriate month to start the year with, looking back and forward. Um, mm. I like the fact that the uh, young child Janus, who has been disguised as a boy because uh, the, it's the female Janusians who have this ability, um, you know, so... Uh, to to disguise that fact that the mother disguised this uh, this child as a boy, but when she looks at the doctor, you know she sees just such an incredible amount of past and future. Yeah, uh, which is a, a nice touch. Uh, and yeah, I wish. What if, that, what if that's alluding to the timeless child? I mean, obviously you could argue mm. either way, but in terms of like, um, you know, and, and this alluding is the thing about to the timeless child and to the the future Tom Baker incarnation that we see in the curator, you know, in Day of the Doctor. Right, right, and I feel like the um, do we like I we will probably talk about this when we get to the episode. Um, but in Heaven Sent, um, does that count the billions of years mm-hmm. he spends? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of as at school no, but I don't know. We'll think about it some other time, but. It, but I guess in this story, that could arguably be a, a bit of foreshadowing for that. Yeah, um, yeah. That it's just going to get incredibly yeah. long. <laughs> so it has all of these connections to stuff that's been going on throughout the season, like the confession dial, right? Um, which you know was was a big deal in the uh, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar, but which we haven't really come back to. You know, like uh, a Shilda, me. Um, and her, I, I like that they once again flick at the fact that she's just used up all her memory space and just has to rewrite over it. So she doesn't remember meeting Clara, but she has read in her diaries that they had nice conversations. Yeah. That was, that was a nice touch. So it's funny, uh, like, and then like when they, not to again, talk too much about other episodes, but I feel like that's a problem only when the script needs it to be a problem, you know, and like, or interesting <laughs> when it's there. Cause they sort of seem to forget about that later. But mm. I, I feel like you could easily write that. I feel like there's a future version of me who kind of does the Johnny mnemonic thing of enhancing her brain with Ooh. more storage, you know, <laughs> like, okay, I'm sick of like wow. meeting these and more other immortals and I can't remember them. So I'm actually wow. going to put like a, a terabyte drive in here. And it's like, okay, here we go. Pete, Pete, you've done it again. You've come up with another great big finish spinoff. Well, that's, that's some serious <laughs> head cannon. Am I right? Insert rim shot here um, <laughs> for the edit. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> what I was going to say is I like the fact that it references all these other things in the season. But it still, as a standalone episode works, it still manages yeah. to be accessible if this is the first episode of Doctor Who you've ever watched. Um, and this is, we, we should mention Sarah Dollard, uh, the, the writer, because this was an extraordinary achievement for this to be her first Doctor Who episode. And actually, in, in my review in 2015, I wrote, could she be the next Doctor Who showrunner? Because she kind of seems to get it. She, that's and, that's exactly what I was going to say in that like 
in terms of like first outing and really like getting it, like the essence of the doctor, their companion, the relationship, the what, how this season was supposed to play out and making that resonate to new viewers and old ones alike, bullseye, you know, like, mm. wow. Like she just completely nails it. Even the stuff, like not just this final scene, but like things like the apology cards where the doctor kind of turns <laughs> around at one point is like, okay, let's do this. You know, like, all of that really, really worked. Um, it's in keeping with this doctor, with the season, and where this had to go. Like, really Herculean task for a rookie writer. Um, I, I confess, I forgot who wrote it. And I just assumed it was Moffat until I looked it up. And I was just like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So Sarah Dodd, it, it's, it's extraordinary, especially because she was most known uh, up until this point for her work on an Australian soap opera called Neighbours, which oh, wow. for every British listener of the show, that is immediately going to trigger the Neighbours theme tune, uh, which was a staple of, of BBC One television until, well, I, I assume that it still is. Like every every 5 p.m., we 5.30 p.m. every day, we'd sit down and watch the latest episode of this uh, very inoffensive Australian soap called Neighbours uh, that is still going. <laughs> Um, so she wrote for that. Then she moves to the UK. She starts on uh, the series called Merlin, the series called Primeval. So she's starting to get into the uh, the uh, fantasy and science fiction side of things. Uh, then then she comes to Doctor Who. She's Very actually cool. been a she's currently a producer on Bridgerton on on Netflix. Um, and, I've heard uh, of all of these shows. Yes, I've not watched Bridgerton either, but she was nominated for an Emmy for for her work on it. So she obviously has range. Nice. Um, and, well, I'm uh, glad yeah, Doctor mentioned... Who is like attracting like smart people, good writers who are clearly like not just sort of one trick genre ponies, you know, that are really like mm -hmm. bring their you know chops and, and understanding of character, the human condition, etc. To to shows like to the show because it's ultimately it's yeah. about character it's about those relationships and when those yeah which is sort of yeah it's sort of why it's 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 so uh surprising that that chibnall didn't have a better run or no. hasn't so far is that he he proved his chops on uh uh oh, oh god why why is the name Bro uh, broadchurch sorry right uh, right the, you know another very very popular uh british show that all the family could watch um Oh. And uh yeah, so it's 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 weird. So we, we need more Sarah Dollards, we need uh uh we need Doctor Who to cast as wide a net as possible for scriptwriters and just just find the people yeah. who are just good at nailing stories because that's what we need more of. hundred uh, percent. And I think with, with Davy's return, I think we're I think we're gonna get more of that. I, I think it's so. a good place to um to almost end it, but I did. I was curious about one thing. Did you? What did you mm -hmm. think of? And honestly, like uh, I know we've been jumping in and out of the quality, so my my consistency detector on his costume has is probably a little out of whack. <laughs> but I found it kind of interesting, and I'm not sure if there's much to read into this. Like he sort of starts the episode in his more casual, almost sort of pajama outfit. I would I would say, and he mm. he he's, he changes into his the classic Capaldi, right? Like it's, it's not quite that. Cause I think the color's a little off on his jacket, but it's like, it's very much like what he started with, with the, the white shirt and the, yeah. the, the suit jacket. And, um, it, it looked more like season eight Capaldi. Was there anything we read into that? Is it more sort of, I, I, think, with Clara? 
I think it's more just the fact that that's that's his best outfit for uh, Heaven Sent, so they have to maneuver him into it right. by the end of this episode, right? So he has to appear multiple times in Heaven Sent in in that outfit, and probably you know they picked it because it works best with the you know the dark lighting in that in the in the confession dial that's uh, about to come up, right? You know the the endless dark corridor scenes. And then there's um, the um, there's the bit in one of the rooms. Now again, not to get too into that episode where mm-hmm. he actually has to take off his jacket because he gets all wet. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he needed a jacket. I don't know. I think yeah, it probably probably works. It's probably he's probably more like you know he did change his outfit a lot, but it's if, if you think of Capaldi and like that doctor in the same way you would think about Pertwee, you know, there's there's a certain outfit you're probably remembering, and that that would be it, as opposed mm-hmm. to like his. Which is familiar look, I guess. Right, his 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 uh, weird hoodie thing, right? Uh, with with what looks like tears in the front. Um, yeah, you know, he, he had some interesting costume changes, Capaldi. But yeah. I, I like. So all. I don't know if we can actually do our other regular feature, which is what if what if the evil plot had succeeded here? What is the because evil? Because it kind of did. Yeah, uh, the evil plot is uh, Shilda's evil plot to trap the doctor on behalf of spoiler alert the time lords mm-hmm. um to uh get him into his confession dial um and that all works it and, just she didn't mean it to works. kill clara yeah if it had succeeded i guess clara would have survived yeah that's it's, it's um, funny it's a funny reversal of our thing where like things would have been yeah. a lot worse it's like actually if the beevil plot succeeded it, it you know clara maybe even yeah. rescues him or something like yeah one less know. dead companion or what, although what would have happened to the doctor in the confession dial, you know, without that grief to process, uh, having right. said it would have been a much less interesting episode. Yeah, no, that's true. So we get, we get a really crappy, uh, penciled in ending to this season <laughs> where he's just kind of trapped in a confession dial. Clara rescues him and yeah. the time Lord just still jerks. Yep. Uh. <laughs> so nothing much changes so again after last week when we discovered that what if the evil plot had succeeded with talons of Wenchang, you know uh, the, it, magnus greel would have survived right zigma right. energy would have worked uh the stakes are actually pretty low when you look at it so yeah i think i think the randomizer is once again showing us that you can have low stakes in doctor who yeah and, and have uh, epic stories and have really really memorable really near perfect stories so big thumbs up big dalek thumbs up to face the raven big emperor dalek yeah. thumbs up that's about <laughs> as big as you can get right the emperor yeah, yeah saucers full of daleks dalek. here guys at some point we we and and we're probably pretty close to the point where we can just do a ranking of all the shows we've watched so far um not a bad idea you know no. of if 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 doctor who purely was purely composed of these shows uh, where where would you rank stuff? And this has got to be near the top. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be this and Inferno and Talons. Uh, you know, vying for the top spot. Yeah, it's up there. It's definitely up there. Alrighty. So, speaking of where we're go, where we've been, where mm-hmm. we're going, what's next? What's also potentially near perfect? Mm-hmm. Pull out that randomizer. <laughs> I think. Yes. So. As I have random.org up, and uh, while you pull up the spreadsheet, I will explain to non-regular listeners that we uh, use random.org because uh, computers are very bad at generally producing random numbers. They're pseudo-random. 
using uh, an algorithm. Um, but if you want true randomness, you have to do what random.org does, which is use atmospheric noise, atoms bouncing around the atmosphere in a truly random way, which is why we have this hallmark of true randomness, which is that the episodes, the stories that we've seen kind of bunch up, kind of bunch up in the Capaldi era more than anything else, uh, which is not something that an algorithm would have given us. So, yeah, so I will enter... Uh, All right. One, no, and... one thing. One thing I want to say, though, I mm-hmm. think we got to start referring to the randomizer as something other than a spreadsheet. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think we got to turn up the the sexy factor on this a little bit. Yes. What do you we, think? We of, have to... What do you think of the pull to open codex? Codex. That, I like that. It, it's it's that, a central component much more... of the randomizer. We, we had combined the codex Hoovian. with the. Yes, the... And we call random.org. Should we call that some kind of like Oracle? Oracles will do cliche. Yeah, the, uh, how about the, uh, the atomic codex? Since it's using well, atoms a, in the atmosphere. Well, one's a codex. I feel like we need a different noun. Mm. A codex and the, uh, the thing that executes it, which would be the, mm, the, the executive for, the branch of the randomizer. The executor. <laughs> The executor. The codex and the executor. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. All yeah. right. All right. So, we'll, we'll, we'll work on this. We'll work on the executor. I have the codex. <laughs> One second. All right. Yes. So, All right. are we going to issue the randomizer H? Are we going to issue a challenge, as we often do to the randomizer? I like to challenge the randomizer. I want to, like, let's just be straight. And I like I want it. I want a doctor. I haven't done yet. I think I've done this one before, but let's. Mm. I, I really want to do. It doesn't really matter, honestly. Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Chris Eggleston, David. No, we did a tenant. We did school reunion. Uh, we did a or tenants, Matt yeah. or Matt Smith. Mm. Any of those? Yeah, would be great. Take us to a new doctor, or even even if you know we could, we might come up uh, roulette. Like you know, we might. What what would be the equivalent gambling thing if we got the TV movie? Like that one in a million chance. Well, one in yeah, right? ninety chance. Yeah, uh, that's that's I'll the that. the uh, the zero zero on the um, on the roulette wheel. Yeah, that's um, the natural twenty. <laughs> yeah, I would like to issue a challenge, given that that RTD is coming back. Take us to a uh, Russell T Davies. Oh, there you go. Episode. There you go. Let's, let's see. Let's see if see it, if it hurt uh, meets, It'll it'll probably just take us straight to another. Capaldi episode. Yeah, but if it, if, it, uh, if it answers both of our challenges, we're going to Eggleston. Which is uh, exciting. So Yeah. It limits the number that it could be. All right. You want to give me a countdown? All right. I will give you a countdown and then consult the codex. We are at three, two, one. Fantastic. 175. 175. Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It's tenant. It's the idiot's lantern. So it is RTD. Oh. He listened to you. The it's randomizer RTD. listened to you more than it's it RTD to me. era, but I don't think it's RTD himself writing this one, right? It is. Wasn't it? You're right. It's uh, under under his auspices, but wasn't this Mark Gattis? I'm doing this without looking it up, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it feels like it. <laughs> Thinking about what happened in that episode, but yeah, idiot's lantern. It's it's the uh, it's the bed episode. It's about TV, guys. It's a TV yeah. show about TV. 
It is another London episode. So the randomizer is stuck in London. It's a pattern here. Yeah. And it's a Rose episode, which is, have we, uh, we have done a Rose episode with school reunion, although that was kind of more of a Sarah Jane episode. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's not one that I can say I enjoyed on its first outing. So let's see if a second viewing can uh, improve it. Yeah. Could be find some find some polish in this Dalek, find some uh, something to recommend in this Ogron. You know, I don't know what does an Ogron do that's good. They lift things, I guess. This Ogron can lift its own weight at least. All right, there we go. Well, this is going to be great, Chris. Uh, heading to more um, fun stuff, and you guys can join us on more fun stuff uh, as long as you subscribe because this is a podcast, everybody. Uh, in case you weren't sure. This is Pull to Open. We are on all your fine podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, whoever does podcast stuff, we're there. Please subscribe. Um, And once you do that, feel free to leave us a review. We are very happy when you do that. Uh, We love those five-star reviews, but really leave us whatever you want to say. We'll take uh, any comment you like, and we'll even read it out on the show. Uh, and uh, also we love to interact with all of our fans on the socials, especially TikTok. We love to share clips of the pod on TikTok with some footage from the show. It's super fun. Uh, we got a lot of feedback there. Lots of people are commenting. We're always in on the comments too. So uh, please keep on coming back there. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, both at poll2open63. Sharing some stuff there as well. All right. We'll see Did you, you notice, guys. by the way, Russell T. Davies, I'll just make one more note here about him, uh, ends his uh, Twitter account, his new Twitter account number with 63. So oh we were ahead of the game there. That's right. He, he's a, I'm sure he's like our number one fan. Russell, leave us a <laughs> review, bro. I yeah, you subscribe yeah. on all your phones and all your platforms. But Yeah, you know, come on the show and... Uh, yeah. Tell us about all about your plans. We'll, we'll give you a shout out. You know, I know you you need all the permanent promotion. <laughs> I mean, it's free promotion. Russell. Exactly. Yeah. How else is anyone going to know about Doctor Who season fourteen? Exactly. Yeah, totally. All right, Chris, it's been fun. Bye, guys. Bye.